As um, some of you may know, it is Super Bowl Sunday, and I just want to say the truly devoted ones are here this afternoon and not watching the Super Bowl, but, but if we need to, I think we figured out a way to put picture in picture while we're preaching, so, so you guys can sort of stay updated on that. What? No, I'm just joking. That's not happening. But true story, when I was in high school, uh, the pastor we had at my home church was a big football fan. And back then we had pulpits, you know, like the big wooden pulpits. So what we did is it was Super Bowl Sunday. And back then we had Sunday evening church. So you would go Sunday morning and then you'd come back in the evening and have Sunday evening church. And it was Super Bowl Sunday. So, so we, we put a TV in the pulpit with the Super Bowl on. And so he got up to preach and there like the Super Bowl's playing and he's like, doesn't know what to do. It was funny. Anyways, that's just... If you wanted to do that to me, I'd be okay with it. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying. Uh, anyway, something more important happening here. We're delving into the book of Revelation. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Revelation 2, and we're going to be starting at verse 12. And today we're looking at the church at Pergamum. But what's happening is that in chapter 1, if you remember, as we've been preaching through the book of Revelation, there's this picture of Jesus, right? And he's got like the the flaming hair and he's got, oh no, sorry, flaming eyes, white hair, flaming eyes. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth and, and all these things that, you know, he's the first and the last and, and all the things that it says about Jesus. But what's interesting is no one of the seven churches gets all those descriptions of Jesus. In fact, each church only gets like one of the descriptions. In the first church, the one who holds the seven stars. That's, that's what it says about Jesus. The second church, it's the first and the last who died and rose again. And this week, the double, double-edged sword that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. Pergamum. The double-edged sword is needed. But why? So I was getting my hair cut yesterday and I've been going to the same place for 13 years. If I can encourage you to keep faithful to whatever place that is, whether it's a barista or a, a person, because I'm finding relationships are, are big. And so she's known me for that whole time and everything I've gone through. And I always come in with my pieces of paper, and my hi highlighters, with my sermon notes, always. They know I'm a pastor. And so... Uh, I get, those of you that don't know me, I get really excited about the Word of God. <laughs> I'm in awe that we have this right now with us, that all of us can read it, not just the Pope and the priest, but we can all do it. And it, it's living and active. So when I read it, it's actually reading me. Sometimes I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, and sometimes I, I'm, I'm fired up. There's nothing like it, living and active. And so for the first time after 13 years, she's washing my hair, and she's like, what do you have going on tomorrow, Super Bowl party? No, I'm preaching. Oh, that's right. For the first time, she's going to say, what's your sermon on? Okay, now i got to think quickly. How am I going to package this in a way that's going to be... I have an opening here. So she's washing my hair. She's trying to hold me down, and I get a little excited. So she's like, are you going to be okay? Calm down, right? But in that moment, I'm like, actually, we're in a series in Revelation. We're in the third church. And I said, babe, it's interesting because what we're going to do is call the church together and have a little time out. 
She's like, what do you mean? I mean, Jesus is portrayed in Revelation so awesome. And he's speaking specifically to this, in this time to the church. And I said, you know, the church has kind of gone off a little bit in different ways. We, we make lots of mistakes, but Jesus in his grace stands front and center in it. Front and center. And he speaks lovingly to us because he loves us. I'm his bride. She's like, you're his bride? Yeah, like he loves the church. He would do anything. He doesn't give up on us. And, and, and I said this. He's not judgmental and angry. He's counseling and, and loving. And she's listening to me. And I said, so we're, we're going to debrief a bit in the, ch- in the third church about what we ought to look like. And I said this. I don't expect the outside at all to carry on with peace and love and joy. I don't. But I do expect it from the church. And she listened, and she, she was very intrigued. We spent the next 30 minutes talking about the Bible, 4,000 years. It is interesting. I started talking about Israel. I had the best conversation I've ever had with her. <laughs> Just saying. Don't dismiss that. Don't dismiss that. And so let me pick it up and let's just dive right in because if it is alive and active, then we ought to be able to open the doors of Narnia and where, does, where do we fit in? Because the power of this is there's so many levels in Revelation. Seven churches. Seven means complete. There's seven literal churches that John, who was a pastor, who's actually on a prison island, Jesus says, hey, write this down and send it. These are my words to the church. And so not only is it literal, like it's going to go on a mail route, clockwise, very interesting, down at the bottom, some may say, well, why down here? Well, keep in mind, Israel goes evening to morning, right? And so as time continues on, the mail route increases, because also at the beginning of the apostolic church, which is the first one, the church is going to grow and grow, so each era is going to be represented, So the first one, 33 AD to 100 AD, we've got the apostolic church. And what was the issue? They had all these things going on. Great, 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 great. But you forgot your first love. Can't do it. Critical. Second one, 100 AD to 312? 312. What's going to happen in there? Smyrna. Suffering. Persecution. Jesus warns them. He says nothing to correct them. He just encourages them. You're going to go through a hard time. Satan's going to test you for 10 days. And there was 10 ruthless Roman emperors in that time. Wow. Is that by accident? No, they're going to, they're going to give up their lives. Okay. Next one, next city we're going to hit today, Pergamum. 312. Well, what happened in 312? Can you imagine almost 200 years of ruthless persecution to the church wanting to stamp it out? Like, I've had enough, had enough. Listen, the gates of hell will never prevail. Get out of this fear zone and know that you're part of the body of Christ right now. My name's written in heaven. Like, I'm pretty excited about it. Okay, Pergamum, 312, persecution, 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 Constantine. What happens there? Everything changes. He has a vision of a cross, a fiery cross. 
He's not even saved. He's a general. Stands out there. And it says in the sky, in this sign, you will conquer. And so he converts everyone to Christianity. Now we've done a 180 to go the other way. And now there's a bit of a mixture. Because the state now, you're all going to be Christians. And the government's going to sponsor this. What does that mean? It means everyone's going to be baptized. Soldiers are going to be baptized. The, the clergy are going to have rights. And all of a sudden, everything that was once persecuted has now become protected. But there's a mixture going on here. Interesting, Pergamum, also known as Pergasus in Greek, means mixed marriage. Huh. So the government and the church are going to mix in a really peculiar way. And the word gamos, which is the end of Pergamus, means polygamy. Hmm. Revelation 2, I'm going to start reading at verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who hath the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it. That's what Pam was talking about, right? My name is written on his heart, also written on a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. So interesting. This is a letter written to, as Carrie said, a mixed group. Uh, we're seeing compromises begin to come into the church. And compromises that we make on a day-to-day -day basis can add up and have a huge impact. See, ultimately, the compromises that we make put us in opposition to Jesus. In fact, it says here that Jesus is going to come and fight against them if they don't repent. And none of us wants that. And I want to say this to the church, that this is a time in the church where holiness is so needed. Where holiness is needed. I know that, you know, it, it sort of became passe, the whole holiness movement, right? It's like, oh, you're too judgmental, blah, blah, blah. We got to sort of be more like the world. Can I tell you, the world's going down a path. And without holiness, no one will see God. See God, right? 
There's this need for the church to, to move away from where the world's moving, especially in areas like what it talks about in Pergamum, sexual immorality and those sort of things. And so Jesus comes with this two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. This isn't buddy Jesus, or this isn't nice little friend Jesus. This is like ruthless Jesus, but ruthless in all the right ways. Ruthless in that he wants to deal with the sin that, that has begun to infect the church and has begun to infect people's lives. He wants to, to cut it out. He wants to deal with it. Pergamum was a city that was known to have a flag with a sword on it. Interesting that Jesus would present himself as the one who has a sword coming out of his mouth. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You know that's Jesus' work in our lives? That's, that's what he's about? His desire is to cut everything out of us that, 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 that opposes what he wants to do and, and his work, that the word of God has this authority in our lives, that it's, it's living and active as we've been talking about? I heard this funny story this week and I, I asked Gigi if I could share it and he said, sure. So uh, G if you, those of you who don't know Gigi, Gigi's my, my friend and brother who, who immigrated here, what, 30 years ago? Something like that, Gigi? Except he didn't know Jesus. Didn't know Jesus at all. In fact, he was a strong atheist. He said he was one of those, not just an atheist, but he was one of those who loved to argue against those who had faith. I mean, he had all his arguments and all that sort of thing. And so one day, being new to Canada, what does he get? He gets a traffic ticket. And so Gigi gets this traffic ticket, and he's determined to go to court to fight it. And he said he had all the like arguments like in his head exactly how he's going to fight this. He's sure that he's going to get off from this traffic ticket. And so they, here he is and he, he comes up to court and, and he's in front of the judge and they make him uh, go and put his hand on the Bible. And he's not a Christian. And he said as soon as he put his hand on the Bible, he just started confessing everything that he did. He just like just laid it out. Just like admitted what he had done wrong. And the judge turns and looked at him and said, why are you even here? <laughs> it's a funny story, but powerful. This is a man who didn't know the power of the word of God Yet when he puts his hand on the two-edged sword, he can't help but speak the truth. There's something that happens when God speaks. Something that, that begins to get separated in our lives when, when the Lord speaks. You know, um, John says this. He says to this church in Pergamum, you live where Satan's throne is. That's a strong statement, hey? Did some of you go, whoa, when that was being read? Like, he brings up Satan twice in this, 
passage, actually. And, and in Pergamum, they had temples to Zeus, Dionysus, and others. They had massive animal sacrifices, and they had big feasts where they would bring all this food together that was sacrificed to idols, and everyone in the city would gather together, and they'd throw massive parties. There was false worship everywhere in this city. But I sort of think it's not that different from Kelowna. You know, I, I drive around our valley. I see so many signs for like new age places and crystal readings and all these different things. I see Buddhist temples. I even see things like yoga. Don't kid yourself. Yoga is a spiritual practice. Crystals, cults. Pergamum is this place where Satan himself dwelt. Do I believe that? Actually, I do believe it. Scripture says it, so, so I believe it. Jesus says so. In fact, he says it twice in just verse, verse 13. But I want you to know this about Satan. How can Jesus say Satan dwelt here? Because Satan is limited. He's limited. He's limited to being in one place and one time. He's not like the God we serve who's unlimited. Unlimited in his presence, unlimited in his power, unlimited in his capacity. But Pergamum is this place, place where evil reigns. The city motto is, we carry the sword. That's the city motto. See, it was the capital punishment center the emperor had his own temple. That's where it began there. So just imagine, it's the northernmost city, thousand feet high, all built on a mountain, tons of temples. All different things. And you know what they're known for? The intellect. A lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge, a lot of philosophies. Why? Second largest library in the world there. Not like go on your phone, like you have to go to the library and actually look up an encyclopedia. Remember those days? Who signed out the encyclopedia? Right? No, but you had to go there to, we know everything. We know, we know. I want you to get this because this is very interesting. Because Satan, for some reason, has chosen to have his throne there and lives there. And Jesus is saying, I'm quite well aware that you're in the district of Satan's. So what is it? Knowledge puffs up, right? We know everything. Lots of Gnostics. Then you've, you've got, got also a temple for healing. Oh, spiritual ancient hospital. Come on in with your pagan rituals. You can look it up. It's crazy, crazy the stuff that would go on. So then you've got the Mayo Clinic, like come and well-being, emotional, experience great learning, and, and come into the spa where you get healed on top of the Dome of the Rock. Oh, it gets better. They're known for the first invention of parchment, paper, papyrus coming out of there. So just imagine, we got everything going on here. We got Google and Amazon. We got Apple. We got Mayo Clinics over here. We got it all. Do you see what, what's at the root here? Because Satan likes that. Do you see what it is? Pride. Pride. I know 
I've got this. I can do this. And I want us to really get this because this is a scheme of the enemy. And the Lord calls it out. He knows quite well. Okay, I, I, know, I know what you're up against. But it's really interesting to me that it says, your city. I was thinking about this. Just hang on for a minute. But it's your city. Why? If there's a church here, it's your city. You have more power than the enemy sitting on his throne. He's speaking this to the church in Pergamum. Do you think he's saying to us in Kelowna, this is your city? Last time I checked, he would save a city if there was 10 of us that stood. Well, this is our city. And so the Lord's empowering them, reminding them that Satan has his throne. I know he dwells there, but I'd like to speak to you and empower you. Satan has his headquarters on earth. I want to set a couple facts really straight. They're on earth. Satan's not in hell. He hasn't been in hell. He's going there. And he will not be the boss in hell. He will be the largest victim, like worse than any lost soul. So get your mind in this. 2 Corinthians 4.4, he's the God of the age that's blinded us. Paul says in Ephesians 2, he's the spirit that works in those who are disobedient. The kingdom of the ruler of the air. Jesus himself says he's the prince of this world. And why is Jesus saying, come out of the world. Stop looking down here. Because I have bought you with a new name and you have the kingdom of heaven in, in you. So you step into this and you rule and reign with my authority. And so sometimes we get caught up in things that, that are not for us to get caught up in. Hear me. I know I'm getting excited, but he, he works in these deceiving ways to get fear. And then if he doesn't go there, he'll entice you some other way. And I'm saying to us, this is our city before the Lord. I'm going to stand firm in it, Lord. 1 John says this. 1 John 5.19. We know, hear me, we know that we're children of God. And that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Those aren't my words. Do you know that you're a child of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one? But. Or yet. Jesus says this. Even though you live in this city where Satan has his thrones, yet. You remain true to my name. You remain true to my name. You don't worship those other gods. You're witness that you're my followers. And you get the idea that, that they were pressured to renounce Jesus. Now, why do I say that? Jesus says, you didn't renounce me. Well, Jesus wouldn't say that if there wasn't a reason to say it, right? It's almost like they were being pressured to renounce him, yet Jesus is saying, look, you, you didn't renounce me, not even Antipas. And he, he calls out this one guy. Like, wouldn't you want to be that person that gets called out by Jesus for a good thing? <laughs> I'd, like to be, I'd like to be that guy. See, Antipas was used as this example of what true faithfulness to Christ looked like. And what it means to give yourself in true obedience to God. 
and he was put to death in Antipas because of his faith in Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus gave himself his life for us. And Jesus demands all we have, our life, in submission back to him. Antipas, it says that he was either a physician or a dentist. Some argue that he was a pastor. <laughs> a pastor. I'll take pastor. And so I read both these commentaries, and I'm sitting here, and the Lord says, uh-uh. What? What's his occupation, Carrie? What's his occupation? Read it. Antipas, my faithful witness. That's his occupation. So whether you're in the corporate or whether you're, you are to be my faithful witness, look at, he's taking ownership. And I love Jesus how he does this because that's the name that he gives himself twice in Revelation. He's like, Antipas, I know you by name. Like, how powerful. And, and you were like, why didn't he save Antipas? Oh, I know those days. He's like, I remember quite well. Can you imagine when they would be saying it if we just had, we just lost someone? And this, this is being, I know those days. Hmm. My faithful witness. You know what witness means? Martyr. And so for the blood of his testimony, he stands saying, I'm devoted. I will be a witness and a testament to my Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus knows our names. I know that sounds nice. I know the song about it, Carrie. No. He knows your name. Second Timothy 2.19, the solid foundation of God stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. And what does he require of us? That we would be a faithful witness wherever he has us. And so he's going to say, here comes the nevertheless. But remember this. See, he can stand for the faith, like right here. He's being, he's being willing to die for the faith. But the Lord's going to say, nevertheless, and this is what I'm saying to us. How are you living for the faith? So let's read that. Verses 14 and 15. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. You see, they've let some of the false teaching come into the church. They start to believe that the authority of Jesus is, is this optional thing. You know, it's this optional thing. It's, it's something I can choose to have be authoritative in my life or something I can choose to let go of for a time. And their repentance seems to have only been partial. I can just, I can just keep a little bit of this sin in my life. Like, like I'm, I'm doing better than most people, but, but I can just have this little bit of sin in my life because I sort of I sort of like this sin this 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 area I'm I'm mostly good you know Carrie and I had a conversation when when we were in um, in Hawaii and um, 
she was just telling me how she was training her eyes to always look away from anything that would cause her to lust, that she would just immediately look away. And, and it convicted me, and I thought, is, is that what I do? Or do I just look a little bit longer, you know, or, or gaze a little bit? But nobody sees that, right? That's, that's just hidden, right? Like, that's, that's something nobody sees, so I can just sort of keep that little pet lust in my life. And so Carrie talks with me about it. And a couple days later, my friend Steve calls me. He's moved to Florida. And, and um, I was actually concerned about Steve because I was actually concerned that, you know, he's like, he has this tendency that he could sort of fall in love with money and image and those sort of things. And he, he calls me and I heard just the opposite. He said, Roger, the Lord's been dealing with me. He's been dealing with me to get really serious about this lust issue in my life. I mean to get ruthless about it. I mean to put the same amount of effort and energy that I put into my job, into my holiness, into the unseen things in my life. You know that division of soul and spirit because the Lord sees and I got to tell you, the Lord just kept speaking to me, Roger, you need to get ruthless with this issue in your life. You just need to be ruthless with sin. Don't just let it sit around your life. Don't, don't let it be like, you know, I'm mostly good. And I began to like just train my eyes. I began to train my eyes, just look away like there's no place for this. This is something between God and and I. You see, because he brings up Balaam and Balak. I know you guys all know this because you've done your like Bible in one year, but that comes from Numbers chapter 22 to 24. There's this story of Balaam and Balak, right? So Balak is like this ruler and he calls Balaam, who's like this, I don't know what we call him, sorcerer, I guess we call him, to curse Israel, you know, God's people. They're coming by. And so he, he hires Balaam to curse. And, and Balaam comes and, and like, do you remember Balaam's donkey? Like where the donkey won't go because there's this angel like sitting with this sword. And so he's like beating the donkey. And, and then the Lord opens his eyes and he can see the angel. And uh, the angel says, don't say anything that the Lord doesn't give you to say. So he goes to Balak. He's supposed to curse the Israelites, but he can't. He ends up blessing them. Balak gets all upset, and, and, and once again, he wants them to curse the Israelites, but, but he ends up speaking blessing because he can't speak anything but what the, what the Lord's saying. And it's this beautiful picture of the Lord's protection of his people. The Lord's like protecting his people literally from being cursed and having blessings spoke over them. After that story, do you know what the next three verses are? I know you know them off by heart, but I'm going to read them for you anyway. <laughs> These are the next three verses. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality. Even as the Lord's blessing is on them. 
even as the Lord's protection is on his people. The men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods and the people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. See, God's people just began to compromise, to act the same way the, the people act. They began to marry unbelievers. See, if Satan can't come as a roaring lion, do you think he's just done? He'll just leave you alone? I might as well leave you alone. No, he's going to come in as a deceiving snake now. You see? And so what Balaam proposes is, if you can't curse them, corrupt them. Corrupt them. Let's move it within. Well, how are we going to do that? Entice. See that word entice? That's a big word for me. Got to underline that. Entice. Why? Because it's going to be like a, oh, hey, Balak, you know those women you got? <laughs> yeah, let's bring them into the war camp. You want to come over to our parties? Yeah. Huh. And so he begins to water down and weaken in that moment. Lord says that we need to be careful of bribes. This is what I was thinking when I was thinking of it. There's bribes everywhere in our society. And I was thinking back to my dream in December 24th that the Lord gave us that brought this whole revelation thing on. So hear me because I want to speak a fresh truth, a reality truth. And remember, we couldn't see. It was going to get really, really dark. And we were holding on to these old candles, like being deceived. And we needed to get oil burning in them. Right? And, and so it moved us into this so that it, we, the times are going to get dark. But the Lord's saying in this moment, hey, remember that when you're being tempted, don't say God's tempting you. James 1, remember that. This is an enemy. And so my light starts to shine to be like, oh, bribes coming. Because what happens? Bribes, and it came to me right away, and this is the power of knowing scripture. I'm like, bribes, blind. Is that in scripture? Is that in scripture, Lord? Google, uh-huh, twice. Twice. Bribes blind in both Exodus and Deuteronomy. And this is what it says. It says, do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise. So here's Balaam. Balaam's like blind. He can't see anything. Do you see, like, he can't even see his own animals acting a little bit different. He can't even perceive it because the donkey's going to talk back to him. And the most peculiar thing is Balaam talks back to the donkey. And then the Lord awakens him to say, stop beating your animal like this. He saved your life. I would have killed you. I had the sword drawn. 
I'm opposing your reckless way, the Lord says. And how many times did you try to say, hey, I got to steer you. We got to reorient you. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? You've been taking those bribes little by little by little. And we all do it. We fall into a culture that the Lord's saying, hey, no bribes. You know why? Because you've become way more powerful in my hands. You will not be bought. You will not be enticed. You will not be allured. You stand. Yes, you stand. There's a resolve in you to be like, okay, throwing that at me and throwing that at me and throwing that at me. Carrie, look up. Look up. Keep the light out. Keep the light out. Is it possible that it's easier for us as Christians to stay faithful in the major things than the minor things? If I told you or if someone came and said to you right now, deny Christ, how many of you would do it? None of you would, right? Even if you were threatened, and I honestly believe you wouldn't do it. But if I say just lust a little bit, just a little bit, no one's going to know. It's much harder for us, isn't it? It's much more difficult. You know that TV show you're watching on Netflix that maybe you shouldn't be watching. Or maybe you're dating and and you're allowing just the physical relationship to go a little bit too far. You see, compromise is a form of surrender. It's a form of surrender to the enemy. They held to Jesus in the big way in Pergamum. They held to him in the big way. You know, they were faithful. Even when their lives were being threatened, they were still faithful. Antipas is being put to death, and they were, they were still faithful. And Jesus commends, that, commends them for it. But then they were compromising in the smaller ways. Right? Do you see that? They were compromising in the, the little ways. They were conforming to the culture. They were being a part of the parties of society and, and this whole sexual immorality that Jesus brings up. You know what the word actually is? Pornea. That's the actual word that he uses. Pornea. It sounds like exactly what it is. How much more do we need to be vigilant? See, it's all about our faithfulness to God. It might not seem so bad in the world's eyes, but for us, it pulls us away from the one we love. It pulls us away from the one who gave his, his life for us. And so what's God saying to the church in this time as, as things begin to get a, a little more perilous? And, and I believe he's saying to us, just walk with me. Walk in the light. Begin to to put away the misdeeds, the, you know, the lust of the eyes and the pulls of the flesh and begin to put those things away because compromise isn't okay. And I want to say this, it's not about condemnation because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can say amen again to that. <laughs> There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is about what Jesus, the one who loves us and who gave himself for us, is speaking to us. Mm -hmm. 
like, come to me. Mm-hmm. Don't get enticed by those things. Mm-hmm. Like, out of his love for us, because he knows what, what's best for us, and he, he wants to walk with us. So he says, you know, just turn away from that. Turn away from that. Come to me. Come to me. I think we forget sometimes that it's a relationship. Because I love Roger, and I I don't want him going off. Hmm. He doesn't want me going off. Where do we get that desire from? A passionate God who wants you for himself. Hmm. I believe that Jesus is far less concerned about our happiness than we think and far more concerned about our holiness than we know. What's he forming in us? You know what Jesus is all about forming in us? He's about forming himself in us. Mm -hmm. That we would become like little Jesuses walking around this this city. That we would become Christ-like. And it's it's for our good. It's, it, it's out of love. Jesus empowers us to live the life that he calls us to because he gives us his spirit. And his spirit in us empowers us to live this sort of life. Let me continue. Revelation 2.17 Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Hidden manna. What's that referring to? I actually think it's it's referring to himself. Jesus is referring to himself. You know, he says... I am the bread of life. He says that in the book of John, right? It's, it's hidden. It's, it's reserved for you. It's only reserved for those who know him. It's, it's especially for those people. And there's something beautiful about it because this is my body broken for you, right? We're going to do communion in a bit. This is my body broken for you. Like, like I, I want to call you to this holiness thing, but I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to give my righteousness to you. It's not something you have to earn on your own. It's something you receive, you know. When you receive the body of Christ, you receive what was given for our righteousness, right? So this isn't about performance. It isn't about religion. It's about walking in what Christ has already done in us. He's already given us his righteousness. And so we just live up to what he's already done for us. I actually want you to grab that. We're going to be taking communion in a bit. But I want you to to take out the little wafer. There's a little cellophane and take out the little wafer. I just want you to hold it in your hand for a bit. Because this is going to represent the hidden manna that Christ has for you. And I think the point is this. That in Christ every longing of your heart is going to be satisfied. Every longing of your heart is going to be satisfied in him.
When the Lord says repent, that's one of the most beautiful words to me. Do you know that? Because it's the opposite of pride. You see, that he's saying this to the church. He, repent, open your minds, change your direction. Come to me. Come to me. You've been caught up in lots of things, and you know what? You're just, you're allowing the power to be sucked out of you. You know why? Because when we start engaging in sexual immorality and greed, it takes away our, our power. How do I know? 1 Corinthians 6 talks about that when you want to unite with a prostitute, you're one with her in body and spirit. And we've got a society right now as teenagers are, that are taking something that the Lord says is like fire. Can someone scoop fire in their lap and not be burned, Proverbs 6 says. Can you do that? That's what you're doing with the most intimate part that I created, Jesus says. I know it's good. I did it. And I love it, but that's why I put boundaries around it. And when we allow anyone, and even teens, and they don't know, they don't even know. And all of a sudden, they, they involve themselves in a sexual relationship. And then it's cut off, and it's broken up. And all of a sudden, we think that, oh, you can do whatever you want with your body, and it won't affect your soul. And you wonder why they're so depressed. And they're so sad. And, and I, I, I just broke up. Like, I can't do this. I can't. This is... This is a fire that the Lord wants to bring back into his church. And I don't expect it to be different here, but I want it to be here. You know why? Because we have a form of godliness, but we're denying its power because we've got all these leaks out and we're compromising. And the Lord's saying, no more, resist. Today, I want all of us to have a time out to step in to be like, okay, Lord. Okay, why? Why, Carrie? Why? Because he offers the promise. He doesn't just say, oh, because it's good for you, because it is. Carry uh, to the one who overcomes. You know why I like this so much? Because you might be in a relationship with a husband that's, that's not on the same path with you, or you might be like, I feel alone. And this is why the Lord says this, to the one. To the one who overcomes, the one who's victorious, I'm going to give you this. And do you see what it is? Like, look behind it. I was studying it this week, and I'm like, oh, Lord, it's so good. Because people are like, how can you see God? How can you know? How can you perceive, Paul says? Because your eyes start to get more in tune with seeing the Lord. Because it's hidden manna. It's hidden manna. Huh. Oh, Lord, that's so good. Hidden. That means your eyes are going to be clear going to be able to see where my hidden man is. And not only is it tangible in Jesus, have you ever had those moments when you're reading your Bible and you're like, oh, that feels like it's right for me. That's hidden manna. That's Jesus speaking to you. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. That's speaking to me. I'm, that's good, Lord. Yeah, I'm speaking to you. And Jesus demonstrated this himself in the desert, up against prideful Satan, right? And what's the first thing he allures him? In the desert. See, the manna was offered in the desert, you guys. And you're in the time of wilderness, and I don't know how I'm going to get through, Carrie. The manna, the manna, it's right here. It's called grain from heaven, angels' food in Psalm 78. I'm going to feed you. And what did the enemy say to him? Turn the stone 
into bread. Can you imagine Jesus? If you are, if you are, he's going to question your identity. If you're the son of God, you can do that. He wants to bite into the pride. Jesus knows who he is. But what does he say? He gets his sword out. Where? Out of his mouth. It is written. The man will not eat on bread alone, but on what? On the words of God. And they nourish my spirit, and my spirit starts to then get full and full, and you know what? It starts to separate my soul. So my soulish, selfish me, I, the heart wants what the heart wants. I'm not a nun up here. Like there, I, I am given over at times to be a Lord, and I need the word of God and to take him at his word and say, no, your promise remains. Your promise remains. You will see us through. And then you begin to overcome. I'm an overcomer. I've been given his identity, but I need to walk in it now. And that last part of the white stone, so powerful. You know what it is in that time when the Roman sports were going on? If you were a conqueror or a victor in those days, you would be given a white stone with your name on it. And you know what that gave you access to? All access pass to the VIP of every dinner and every fellowship. And do you see the intimacy Jesus is saying in this? Again, do you see that? It's a name, it's gonna have a name for you and I on it, what? Only known to you. Written, written, eyes to see, eyes to see. And so as I, I pull us back in right now, we can't do this. We can't do this. But Christ in us will. I will. He'll help us overcome. And it's with great, and you know, a lot of you know my story. In moments like that, the hardest part, like in a desert, desert time, is it going to end? Is it going to end? Is it going to end? And I'm going to go into the hotel room that night saying, you know what? I need to go. I need to leave now. Oh, Carrie, no, I don't trust myself in this kind of corporate setting. Great party. And I went back and I did my Bible reading for that day. You know what it was? Zechariah 8. I'm jealous for you. I'm burning with jealousy for you. And listen, it was a desert. I didn't, I'm like, Lord, is that, is that manna or it feels really good? And I realized in that moment, he is so jealous for us all. He's jealous with a godly love that's relentless and it burns with us. And yeah, I can stand up here and say, listen, he's allowed me to overcome and I have no regrets and I love that I can taste and see more than ever and I don't want it to stop. But it's another blessing when one of our own in here begins to be like, okay, and we start sharing our testimony. And we start, we can't do this alone. We've walked together and we share this together. And there's a man in, who wants to overcome too. Help me get out of it. Help me get out of it. And I remember so much Roger and I just saying, hey, you can do this. Let's stay on track. And you need those accountability, right? And he had a symbol that I won't forget it. And I asked him for permission to share this. And it says on his hand, I will make you whole. You have I that picture there? I forgot to put the picture up. 
It's a picture that says, I will make you whole. And every time he struggled, hear me, he would look at that and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. And for the last year and a half, it's a joy for us to witness overcoming together because the Lord wants to fill that lonely man's hand of overcoming with not just manna and not just a stone with his name, but with a godly woman. His promise is true. His promise remains. He's faithful. He's faithful. So what does he ask of us? Are we willing to step into that today? I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes and we're going to just do some business with God here. But I want you to hold that bread in your hand, that hidden manna. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as well. I want you to realize what's represented by what it is you're holding in your hand, that, that manna. This is my body broken for you. That Jesus would give himself for us so that we didn't have to be perfect. And so I just want you to do some business with God right now. And if there's anything in your life that the Spirit's asking you to lay down, I want you to lay it down. If there's anything that the Spirit's asking you to confess, I want you just to confess it and to let it go. And then when you're ready, I want you to receive what Jesus has for you. I want you to take that bread I want you to realize how much he loves you. Like, really loves you. That he would see you for who you are, that nothing would be hidden from him, and yet he would say, I'm going to give myself for you. I'm going to give myself for you. Receive my gift. Receive my love. Receive my forgiveness. Receive it. I want you to eat that bread. Receive what Christ has to give to you. I want you to keep your eyes closed. And I want you now to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. I want you to imagine that you have a white stone in your hand. And I want, to, I want you to ask Jesus, Lord, is there anything, is there a name that you would write on that stone? It's just for me. Maybe it's beloved. Maybe it's forgiven. Maybe it's mine. Just ask the Lord to reveal that to you. We're going to worship.